Um, thank you so much for the intro, Amy, and also to Sue for the great introduction. So I'm going to talk about three topics. I'm going to talk a little bit about Gusto, who we are, what we do, and then move on to how we are stamping out food waste, and then to wrap up some of the challenges that we're facing, some of the things that we're really having to focus on at the moment and into the future, which hopefully will provide some good uh, food for thought. Uh, maybe that's the wrong phrase, having just eaten, but caffeine for thought for discussion. Um, so first of all, just covering a little bit about Gusto um, and how we're tackling food waste. Uh, Gusto is one of the UK's leading recipe box companies. Uh, we serve seven and a half million meals a month. Uh, we have 75 plus recipes a week, and those recipes change week on week. Um, and that 75 doesn't include variants that you might be able to select from as a customer. So you can swap out a primary protein, say, uh, for a vegetarian or a vegan alternative, or perhaps swap your mints for a lean mints um, instead. So it's a, an enormous amount of choice that we're offering to customers, and that's really important to customer value uh, and clearly to commercial value from our perspective as well. But that creates its own challenges as far as forecasting is concerned, uh, and clearly it has implications for, for food waste too. Um, we have multiple fulfillment centers around the country, um, and uh, we also have more than 1,500 employees. Um, our mission as a company is to eliminate food waste, and that has been the case from the very beginning. So Timo, who is our uh, CEO, founded uh, Gusto back in 2012. And one of the reasons that he wanted to found a business in this area was because um, it had a social and environmental benefit. Uh, he saw, what Sue mentioned, the 70% of uh, food waste happening in consumers' homes. And Gusto's delivery model um, means that we can cut that to almost zero because we're sending pre-portioned ingredients to customers. So when we've run studies with our uh, customers, we see zero, well, almost 0% 0 uh, food waste in the home for the food that we're sending them. On top of that, we have a more direct route to customers. We don't have the retail stage um, and all of the challenges uh, in forecasting that might take place at that at that level. Um, so that relates to what Amy mentioned around uh, each uh, Gusto order on average saving two kilos of food waste versus those same meals um, distributed via a traditional supermarket uh, retail and distribution um, model. And that equates to around about seven kilos of, of CO2 saving. And clearly it's not just about that carbon saving, it's also about the other environmental impacts, the water, uh, the pollution, the biodiversity impact uh, that is associated with that. So our business model in and of itself is uh, beneficial, but clearly we want to go further than that. Um, and uh, I'm going to cover a, a few of the tools and initiatives that uh, we as Gusto have leveraged to, to reduce waste. One of the interesting things that I've found um, spending a bit more time uh, focusing on the area over the last few years is that uh, people, when they talk about food waste and addressing it, don't really spend that much on prevention. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit more on, uh, on, about that because I think we're doing some uh, things that I hope you'll find interesting. Um, and the reason for that is that 
we are very, very tech heavy as a business. So we sometimes talk about ourselves being a data company that loves food, a tech company that loves food rather than a, uh, a food company. Over half of our London office actually work uh, in tech. So that's across engineering and data science and product management. Um, so that means a lot of time invested by these people in forecasting. Um, and that means that our mean absolute uh, percentage error uh, is consistently below 5% for all of our forecasts across all lead times. So that um, goes from the very beginning of when our forecasts are first made all the way through to when um, customer orders start to be placed three, days, uh, three weeks sorry, before um, uh, deliveries arrive, um, all the way through to cutoff when customers can no longer uh, make edits to their orders. And forecasting actually happens in four different phases. So uh, the first phase is around menu planning. We have thousands of recipes in our library, um, and we use genetic algorithms, so learning algorithms, uh, to balance all sorts of different parameters in order to optimize for things like menu variety, but also ingredient availability, skew counts. And the aim, ultimately, is for us to have a good uh, variety of recipes on the menu while also controlling waste and inefficiencies. Um, and one of the advantages that we have as a business is that the interface that the customer sees is a recipe rather than um, an aisle in a shop. Um, uh, uh, and that means that if we know that there's going to be uh, a shortage of a particular ingredient um, in the future, we can sub out recipes that contain that ingredient Equally, if we've got gluts of ingredients in um, our distribution centers which have longer life, we can sub in recipes in order to draw down that stock. Um, so there are some clever things that we can do at that stage. We then go into demand forecasting. Uh, so this is where we combine a customer forecast about how many customers uh, will be active in actually placing orders uh, with a product forecast, um, which uh, estimates what customers are actually going to choose, and that creates the demand forecast. And that's clearly a process which is much too complex for the human brain. So again, we use genetic algorithms that comb through a wide range of retention uh, and product data in order for us to get a more accurate forecast. Then comes the stage at which we begin to actually receive real orders. So that's three weeks before del uh, deliveries actually start to land. And as those real customer orders come in, our forecast automatically takes those into account. Um, uh, so it's co constantly adjusting, recalibrating, improving, uh, up until cutoff when customers can no longer uh, make, make edits. Um, and then finally, when it comes to fulfillment, we have multiple sites with different capabilities, different availability of stock. Um, and we therefore run a factory forecast uh, with the demand forecast, which um, enables us to route orders in a way that optimizes the use of factory resources, uh, but also um, makes sure that we optimize the amount of stock that we're using across all of our sites. So we're obviously, on an ongoing basis, continuing to refine those. Um, but despite our best efforts as any food business, we do produce uh, food surplus, and then the question is what we, what we do with it. Um, so we have a food waste hierarchy, uh, similar to the one that Sue mentioned. We go through redistribution 
um, at the beginning. So we have controlled employee collection on our sites. Um, we also have uh, a very strong partnership with Fairshare. So last year, we redistributed uh, 410 tons, which is the equivalent to almost a million meals. Um, I think 976,000, just so close uh, um, to those in need. So Fairshare have partnerships with over 11,000 frontline charities. Um, so um, a, a, an enormous social benefit as well as environmental one. And we have also set up a box rescue scheme. So um, some orders which leave Gusto's sites um, may fail, as we call it, in the courier system. That might be for any number of different reasons. It might be because of snow or flooding or a customer or, uh, cancels their order after having uh, left the site. Um, and we have set up an agreement between us and DPD and also Fairshare where we can rescue the edible contents of those boxes and redistribute them to local fair share uh, sites, which, again, um, improves uh, the, the redistribution part of this. Animal feed is actually a relatively small stream for us um, at the moment, but we're investigating things like black soldier fly um, uh, feed, uh, which uh, is in the works, I believe, according to our waste management people. Um, and uh, then anything that we can't redistribute or uh, send to animal feed goes for anaerobic digestion, and uh, that produces biogas, biofertilizer to spread on fields, um, and also the packaging is incinerated for energy. So it means overall a food waste percentage, which is much, much lower than 1% in our operation, and nothing goes to landfill um, uh, uh, as a consequence. But it's not just about our operations, it's also about trying to uh, collectively move in a positive direction and drive sectoral change. Um, so we are doing a few things in this area. Um, uh, we uh, contributed, replied to the government consultation on mandatory food waste reporting, um, pushing for an increase in, in scope um, and also uh, ambition in terms of uh, timing. Uh, we're a member of the, the B Corp working group on food waste, and I'm looking at Steph because she also is. Um, and that's a pre-competitive environment to discuss uh, food waste and how we might begin to tackle it. Um, and it contains businesses, but it also has speakers from uh, campaign groups, charities. Uh, it's a fantastic forum in terms of education and sharing best practice. Uh, and we can also begin to use our collective voices in. Um, campaigns and consultations. And then finally, we're an associate member of the uh, court hold agreement. Uh, so we have our target to halve food waste in our operations by 2030. Um, and we are this year beginning to report to RAP. And we're also going to push to report that externally. So I'm not sure how I'm doing on time. But I'm going to wrap up with uh, a few of the challenges that we're, we're facing and some of the things that we're doing in those areas. So you'll have probably noticed that I haven't talked much about the, the upstream part of this, what happens in our supply chain, what um, happens with our suppliers. That is a real challenge for us at the moment in terms of visibility of food waste further back in the supply chain. Um, so that's something that we're really um, working on at the moment. And strengthening partnerships with our suppliers so we not just have that visibility, but also have the ability to influence, work better with them, understand how our behavior um, drives food waste further back in the supply chain. Um, we're also looking at things like food waste minimization via packaging. So there are some really exciting packaging innovations that 
uh, will help to extend shelf life of produce. Um, so we're exploring things in that area. Um, uh, trying to get better quality data across all of our streams um, and beginning to use this for, for KPIs and incentives internally. Um, and then finally, um, influencing consumer behavior. Uh, clearly, it's something that we really stand for in the market. It's something that we firmly believe that we should continue to push for. Um, I know that in London, we've got the Eat Like a Londoner campaign going live at the moment uh, with ReLondon. Uh, there's Food a uh, Waste Action Week as well. Um, so continuing to try to promote those as much as possible among our consum uh, consumer ba customer base as well as uh, employees. I think I will wrap up there, but thank you very much. <laughs>